Good morning, everyone. I pray you are all well. It is great to see the entire Wicker family back with us this morning. But even though Sam is back, you're stuck with me for one more week. I warned you last week, it was going to take me two weeks to finish 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And that is exactly what we plan on doing this morning. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We will be in verses 50 through 58. And it brings some closure this morning to this glorious chapter as it displays the grandeur of the Christian's victory in Christ over death. Now, if you are visiting with us this morning, or if you have missed any of the past four previous weeks that we have been in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I would be remiss if I did not quickly give you a brief outline of what has taken place thus far in this chapter. As Paul started the chapter by addressing this notion in the church in Corinth that there is no resurrection from the dead. And he makes the point that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he says, you don't believe me that Christ rose? Ask Cephas, who is Peter. Ask the twelve. Ask the five hundred people who saw him. Ask James. There is a resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If you don't believe me, he says, ask the hundreds of people who have seen him. Which goes into Paul's second point. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead... As the first fruits of the dead, so too can those who believe in him. He wrote in verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ then shall all be made alive. Because Christ rose from the dead as the first fruits of the dead, so too then can believers. And last week we stumbled through Paul's question, or the question that was asked to Paul, with what type of body then will the dead be raised? How will the dead be raised? And Paul answered that question. He says, when we are raised, we will not be raised into perishable bodies or earthly bodies, but we will be raised into imperishable, new glorified bodies, fit for being in the presence of God through eternity. And then today, from our text, verses 50 through 58, we will see that the Christian's resurrection is eternally victorious over sin and death. The Christian's resurrection will be eternally victorious over sin and death. And yet we live in a world where people are scared of dying. There is fear concerning dying. In the world of psychology, Thanatophobia is a phobia or a name given to individuals who have an excessive fear of dying. In a survey done in 2019, it was found that nearly 70% of all Americans possess some level of fear or some level of dying. In preparing for the sermon this week, I heard a joke about a young lady who said that her great aunts used to routinely come up to her at family weddings. They would poke her in the ribs and giggle and make fun of her, saying, you're going to be next, 
Maybe you're going to be next. She said they stopped abruptly when she started doing the same thing to them at funerals. But as we will learn from our text this morning, as Christians, we have no need to fear death. Our main theme this morning, our thesis from the passage this morning that we will be looking at is this. For the Christian, we will be victorious over death because God has given his children eternal life through Jesus Christ who stands victorious over all. Thus, death has no sting. Our thesis this morning, for the Christian, we will be victorious over death because God has given his children eternal life through Jesus Christ, who stands victorious over all. Thus, death has no sting. Our passage of scripture this morning, again, will be 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We will be in verses 50 through 58. It is found on page 962 in the Pew Bible. If you do not have a Bible, I would highly recommend you using one of those and following along with us this morning and consider it our gift to you from New Hope Christian Fellowship. The only thing we ask for in return is that you read it. Again, our text this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. The Apostle Paul writes, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, open our eyes and our ears this morning to the power of this text. Lord, nothing I can say this morning will do it justice. I pray that I be faithful this morning, use these lisping, sinful, stammering lips and tongue of mine. I pray I be bold. I pray I be accurate to your text. 
Father, I pray for the congregation this morning that they walk out of here in all that this life is not all there is. There is eternity waiting for each one of your children. I pray we leave here today abounding in the work of the Lord because we have eternal life that has been given to us. Let us marvel at the resurrection this morning that we have been given and let us live differently because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will begin this morning with verses 50 through 52. Again, the Apostle Paul writes, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. Paul opens in verse 50 saying, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If you have wondered at all throughout our study in 1 Corinthians 15, why exactly do we need a resurrection anyway? He makes it quite clear here that our earthly bodies, our perishable bodies, our corruptible bodies, in their current physical state, church, they are simply not fit, they are simply not prepared, they are simply not able to stand in the presence of the greatness, of the holiness, of the glory of God. The reformer John Calvin says that in our present state, the incomprehensible brightness of the divine glory of God would simply bring us to absolutely nothing. In our present state, the incomprehensible brightness of the divine glory of God would bring us to absolutely nothing. Don't believe me? Consider the story of Moses for a second, specifically in Exodus 33, where after Israel has committed idolatry by making a golden calf, Moses then intercedes on behalf of Israel, and this is actually the second time he did it after the golden calf was created. And he asked God assurance that he would not leave his people. So the people of God have made a golden calf and elected to worship the golden calf instead of God. Moses has interceded and asked for assurance from God that he would not leave his people. And Moses does that by asking God in verse 18 to show him his glory. And God responds in verse 20 and says to Moses, you cannot see my face, meaning you cannot see the fullness of the glory of God and still live. So instead, God lets Moses see his back, meaning some type of limited or restricted appearance of his glory. And even in that moment, as Moses is only exposed to this limited glimpse of the glory of God, when, when Moses comes down from Sinai in Exodus 34.30, it says that Moses' face, his skin shone. 
So much so that the Israelites were afraid to come near him. In just that moment, in the presence of a flash of the glory of God, Moses' body looks like it has been transformed into some type of radioactive character from a comic book. Church, our physical bodies, as they are now, are not capable of being in the full presence of the glory of God. Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment of a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Whether you are alive when Jesus Christ returns or whether you have already passed away, if you want to be in the presence of God through eternity, our current flesh, our current blood, our current perishable bodies, they are simply not going to cut it. How do we know this? Hebrews 12, 29, for our God is an all-consuming fire. If we want to see the face of God, if we want to see the fullness of his glory, then our bodies need to be resurrected into new, imperishable, glorified bodies that are capable, that are fit, that are prepared for being in the presence of God's glory. Verses 53 through 55. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? As Christians, when our perishable bodies are changed into the imperishable, when our mortal bodies are changed into immortal bodies, when our earthly bodies are changed to heavenly bodies, when Jesus Christ returns and the dead are raised, and as Christians we are given our glorified bodies... Then finally shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? In J.C. Ryle's book, Light of Old Times, he shares briefly about the life of a man named John Bradford, who was martyred during the reign of Queen Mary, or better known as Bloody Mary, in 1555. He preached consistently throughout England, in Manchester, in Liverpool, in Bolton, and in Wigan, with great benefit to the cause of Protestantism and with great effects on men's souls. But the consequence was what you might expect. Within a month of Queen Mary's ascension, Bradford was in prison and never left until he was burned. On the day of his execution, he was led out, it says, from Newgate to Smithfield at about nine o'clock in the morning, 
amid such a crowd of people as was never seen before or after. Indeed, when he came to the stake at the sheriff's office, the sheriffs were so alarmed by the crowd that they would not allow him or the young man suffering with him to pray as long as they wished. Arise, they said, and make end, for the press of the crowd is too great. At that word, they both stood upon their feet, and then Bradford took a bundle of sticks in his hands, and he kissed it. And so likewise the stake. When he came to the stake, he held up his hands, and looking up to heaven, he said, England, England, repent thee of thy sins. Beware of idolatry, beware of false antichrist. Take heed, they do not deceive you. After that, he turned to the young man who was about to die next to him. And he said, be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. After that, he spoke no more that man could hear, except he embraced the reeds and said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth to eternal life and few there be that find it. How is this response possible, church? Minutes before being burned to death, John Bradford looks at his friend and says, be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord tonight. I will tell you how this response is possible. This response is possible because of an unshakable knowledge, an unbreakable belief, and an unwavering, unrelenting, unflinching trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you want to know how this response is possible, It is because of an unshakable knowledge, an unbreakable belief, and an unwavering, unrelenting, unflinching trust that death has been swallowed up. For the Christian, death has been destroyed forever. Now, whether we are John Bradford or not, we have all still been impacted by death. All of us, church, have gotten the unfortunate phone call saying that a friend of ours has died. All of us have sobbed over the death of a loved one. All of us have begrudgingly walked up to the casket of a lifeless corpse who used to be a grandparent or a parent. All of us have mourned as we have placed each one of these loved ones into the ground. We have all been impacted by death. But listen carefully, church. This is very important. Whoever believes, whoever trusts in the gospel of Jesus Christ, John eleven twenty five says that though he die, yet shall he live. Though he die, yet shall he live. And then we get 
Paul's taunt of death, his lines of mockery toward death in verses 54 and 55. He begins, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, he says, you've been beaten. Death, you have been conquered forever. He looks death in the eye and says, death, you are a loser. Hebrews 2.14, that through death he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And then he says, oh death, where is your victory? Death, you've lost the power to kill. The only thing you can do, you have lost the power to do that, he says. 2 Timothy 1.10, our Savior Christ Jesus has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And finally, he says, oh death, where is your sting? Death, you have lost the power to hurt people at all. Acts 2.24, God raised him, Jesus Christ, up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Paul's point, death does not have the power to separate us eternally from our loving God. Romans 8, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God. Death, he says, you have been destroyed. You are a loser. Christ has won. To God be the, God be the glory for that. Death has been destroyed. Death is a loser, and Christ has won. Verses 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Theologian Albert Barnes asked the question, what has the innocent person to fear anywhere in the universe of a just God? What does the innocent person to fear anywhere in the universe of a just God? And the answer to that question is absolutely nothing. The innocent person does not have to fear death. He does not have to fear decay. He does not have to fear pain. But the fact that people die, it is proof that there are no innocent, there are no sinless people anywhere in the universe of a just God. Church, we die not because the decomposition of our bodies was always just part of the natural biological process. We die because of the cause of death, which is sin. We die because of the cause of death, and the cause of death is sin. It says here, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And Paul here personifies death. He displays death as if death was a living person kind of like the grim, the grim reaper, if you will. But instead of a sickle, death here is armed with the stinger of sin. Romans 6 says that the wage of sin, 
the cost of sin, it is death. And that the power of sin here in verse 56, the power of sin is the law. Thus, when we fail to keep God's perfect law, we are hit with the stinger, with the agony of sin. Whereas death then is the only just and fair punishment. It is a sobering and grievous reminder of who we are in our natural state, echoed by Paul in Romans 5, where he says, sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. James 1.15 says this, that when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. It is a sobering and grievous reminder of our physical and our natural state church but there is a hope there is a hope and as we close this morning we are going to continue to go through the rest of the text you're not getting out of here in 25 minutes this morning not with a text this profound But I want to close this morning, or begin to close this morning, by addressing the non-Christian that is here first. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have not loved God as we should. All of us have not loved our neighbor as we should. All of us have fallen into the pit of sexual immorality. All of us have chased and have coveted the wealth of this world. All of us have boiled with jealousy, with rivalries and dissensions. And because of that, we all deserve death. But verse 57 here says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope this morning, the good news this morning, the gospel this morning, is that God sent a Savior for us. God came into this world as truly God and as truly man, as Jesus Christ, who unlike us, he never sinned. He was tempted with sin just like you or I, and yet he never sinned, which qualified him, which made him the perfect sacrifice for sin. Jesus Christ then willingly went to the cross and allowed God to pour out the wrath that we deserve on to himself. And Jesus Christ was crushed. He was crucified. He was buried. And three days later, he rose from the grave. There was a resurrection church. 
And because there was a resurrection, it confirmed three profound things. Number one, it confirmed the fact that Jesus Christ really was God. He really was divine. He really was sinless. Number two, it confirmed the fact that Jesus Christ was accepted as an offering before God on behalf of his children. He was raised for our justification so that we can be righteous in the presence of a holy God. And number three, it confirmed the fact that because Christ rose from the dead, so too can those who repent of their sins and trust in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To the non-Christian that is here this morning, I pray that today is the day that you see how perishable, how depraved we are in our actions, and we can't stand in the presence of God for a millisecond based on our own merit. Thus seek the only one who can cleanse you of your sin, Jesus Christ, wash you as white as snow, clothe you in his righteousness, and reconcile you, bring you back to God the Father through eternity. Let today be the day that you confess your sins and you trust in Christ alone and salvation will be yours. And now to the Christian that is here this morning. We have gone five weeks 57 verses focusing on the explanation of why the resurrection not only happened, but why it is critical. We have had Paul explain it. We have Paul defended the resurrection of the dead for 57 verses. And now in one glorious verse, Paul closes this chapter with an exhortation, with an application of how we as Christians are to live in the here and now in light of the fact that there is a resurrection from the dead, that there is eternity at stake. He writes in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Therefore, my beloved brothers, he says, because Christ has defeated death, because Christ has slayed sin, because Christ offers a resurrection from the dead, eternal life, salvation with God through eternity, he says, be steadfast, Loyal, committed, devoted. He says, be immovable, fixed, secure, anchored, abounding, brimming, bursting, flush in the work of the Lord. He does not say, because Christ has defeated death, because Christ has slayed sin, because there is a resurrection for the believers, eternal life and salvation. You know what? Be apathetic in the work of the Lord. Be indifferent. Be unenthusiastic. Michael Green noted that a mother goose will sit faithfully on a dozen or so eggs and will not move for anybody or anything before they begin to hatch. 
But once three or four eggs hatch, she then becomes distracted. And in fact, often becomes so preoccupied with them that she will end up just walking away from the remaining eggs, not remaining committed or loyal or secure until the very end. Church, why are we called to be steadfast and immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord? It is because this life, the here and now, it is not all there is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.32, if the dead are not raised, meaning if we're just put into a box when we die and that is it, then, then let's eat, let's drink for tomorrow we die. Meaning if there's no resurrection, then it's okay. Live it up, party hard, it is what it is. Who cares how we live? But church... That is not the case. There is a resurrection from the dead, and eternity is waiting for us. Thus, everything we do in the here and the now has eternal significance. The way we raise our children and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, it has eternal significance. The way we serve here at New Hope Christian Fellowship, it has eternal significance. The way we evangelize or share the gospel at work, it has eternal significance. The way we love our neighbors, even though they are so hard to love, it has eternal significance. The way we grow, the way we mature, the way we disciple each other in Christ, it has eternal significance. And Paul says that the labor will not be done in vain, church. God will use it. God will use our labor to bring glory to his name and to advance his kingdom through eternity. Thus, it is my prayer that as children who have been washed, who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, who have been given the gift of eternal life that we leave here, not feeling sorry for ourselves, not pitying ourselves in light of this secular age, but we leave here confident that this life is not all there is. We leave here confident that there will be a resurrection. We leave here confident in eternal life and salvation. And we live with a zeal, knowing that all of our actions, they have eternal purpose. They will not be done in vain, church. Ephesians 2, for by grace we have been saved through faith. It is not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Walk, church, in the work of the Lord. It has eternal significance. There is a resurrection. This life is not all there is. And all the labor we do, it will not be done in vain. God is using it for his good and for his glory. To God be the glory for that. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this text this morning. Lord, we cannot fathom what the resurrection will be like, Lord. What will it be like to stand in the fullness of your glory? As Tim said during his prayer, no pain, no anxiety, no fear of man, no pride. Oh, we long for that day. No sickness, no cancer. Just in the fullness of the glory of God, what we have been created to do. Lord, let us cling to that hope that has been given to us through the work of Jesus Christ. And I pray that in every instance, every day, every week, every hour, every month, every year, Lord, what we are doing, it has eternal significance. This life is not all there is. Thus, grow your children, church. Grow New Hope Christian Fellowship in godliness, in holiness. Let us be bold in the fact that there is a resurrection, there is eternal life, and let us look and behave so different from the secular world that they have to know why we have this hope. In Jesus' name we pray.